So, from Matthew, chapter 7. The words will all be familiar from the song that we've heard again today. So, Matthew, chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. Hear me okay? Good. So I got a photograph. Thanks, Robert. This is um, one of my favorite photographs of my mum. Uh, Mum died about five years ago. But what's going on here is, um, this is um, probably the noughties. Um, and what we're doing, trying to do is put up a tent on a windy day on the top of a cliff in North Wales. And what Mum's saying there, with something of a panic is, put that camera down and get hold of this tent. And the tent was not yet pegged down. It's one of those great big sort of Eurocamp tents. Um, and with hindsight, there was um, a good chance of it sailing off into the Irish Sea, sea with mum attached to it at any moment. Now, this wasn't a storm exactly, but when you're camping, it makes you realise just how powerful a storm can be, doesn't it? It helps you appreciate uh, just how good the foundations of a proper building need to be to survive the storm. As we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount today, we're faced with a question. What foundation are we building our life on? Everyone's building a life on some foundation or other, and there's a storm coming that we're going to need the right foundations to withstand. So here's an outline of where we're heading. Says who? Wise, foolish, doing what he says. Says who? Wise, foolish, doing what he says. So first says who. Uh, Jesus is giving this sermon on the mount, uh, on this hillside to his disciples and to a great crowd looking on. So all sorts of different people, lots of different walks of life. I mean, people identify themselves in all sorts of, or get identified in all sorts of different ways, don't they? So who have we got here today? We've got... Um, we've got Aussies, we've got Poms, 
got crows, power, mums, dads, grandparents, children. We've got Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, millennials, boomers, digital natives, lefties, conservatives. When I was a teenager, uh, there were sort of going out, there was alternative rock kind of goth types, you know, all pasty looking with a chip on the shoulder. They were usually middle class, well off people, nothing to moan about really. And then there were the ravers, you know, sort of baggy clothes, bright clothes, smiley faces, all that kind of thing. Uh, if you're from a different generation, you probably had, I don't know, there was teddy boys, weren't there, punks, mods, rockers, whatever. But in this closing section of Jesus' big talk, Jesus is making it really clear that there's really only two kinds of people where it really counts. Those entering the kingdom of God, living under God's loving, perfect rule, in right relationship with him, and those who are not. So verse 13, last week we saw, those who choose the narrow gate and the narrow hard way uh, of living with Jesus as their king, um, the way that leads to life of eternal joy, versus those who choose the wide gate and to the wide way of rejecting Jesus. The way that seems easy, but leads to destruction. Um, we saw in verse 19 that there's good fruit and there's bad fruit that is burned up. There are those Jesus knows, part of God's family, that can meaningly call God Father now when we pray. And those to whom Jesus says will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. Now, we hear that, and we love the good news part of that, don't we? Uh, life and forgiveness that we don't deserve. The promise of eternal life that has already started as we get to call God Father and him helping us now to grow more and more into the kind of person Jesus has been describing in this sermon. That's all great. I'll sign up for that. But we take no pleasure in knowing that most will choose the wide way. But there's no holier-than-thou attitude here. If you're not a believer, you might be thinking, or your unbelieving friends might be thinking, look, sure, Jesus... If he existed at all, seems like a good bloke, you know, some good teaching. You know, even some of this Sermon on the Mount, you know, turn the other cheek and all that. That's quite nice. But he was just another guy with another set of ideas. You don't want to take him too seriously, they might say. I mean, who are you to say that you've got it all right and I'm headed for destruction? Says who? Says who? Because that's the kicker, isn't it? If Jesus is just another bloke, well, we can all go home and not worry about it. But have a look at verses 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. He taught as one who has authority. And if you've been with us for any of this Sermon on the Mount series, you'll know what the crowd mean. I mean, Jesus takes the Old Testament law given to Moses and puts it on steroids. He says he fulfills the law and he gives out commands as if he is God. Now, of course, anyone can make those claims. Anyone can behave like that. But the historical accounts of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, show that 
all Jesus did and said backed up his claim to be God's long-promised rescuer king with all authority. And ultimately, his death and resurrection that we'll look at on Good Friday and Easter show he is who he says he is. See, unlike other religions, Christianity puts itself on the chopping block of history. I mean, I get that a man coming back to life doesn't normally happen. But if anyone, anyone is willing to just get past a knee-jerk batting away of something impossible sounding and actually look into it, there's compelling evidence that this is reasonable, remarkable as it is, reasonable stuff to believe. And that Christianity, growing as it did, as it still is today, without that resurrection being real, is very hard to explain away. All the reasons you might assume this stuff has traction um, that was just made up, those assumptions don't stack up on a fair analysis. And if Jesus really is who he says he is, then we'd better listen. So let's imagine for now that we're on that hillside listening to Jesus. And just like today, there'd be lots of different people come to listen to Jesus' words for lots of different reasons. Maybe to laugh at the latest religious nut, maybe to skive off work, maybe to hear a great teacher, maybe to come and expose him as a fraud, maybe to come and find a secret to health, wealth and happiness. Maybe they've come to listen to find forgiveness. But again, Jesus splits anyone who hears his words into just two kinds of people. Wise and foolish. Wise and foolish. Let's look at each in turn. First, the wise. Verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. So the wise listener is someone who hears what Jesus has to say and does what he says, puts it into practice. Got a picture, thanks Robert. This lighthouse uh, is built on a rock called La Jumée off the coast of Brittany in France. And it became well known in 1989 because of this photograph. Um, the pho- photographer managed to convince a helicopter to go up in gale force winds uh, just to take photographs. The poor lighthouse keeper is at the door because he thought a rescue helicopter had come. And the next frame, which I haven't got up there, he, um, you see him running inside as the waves come and engulf him. But the lighthouse stood firm through that storm and still does after every storm. Building your life on Jesus' words, acting on them, is building on a firm foundation. So I don't know, but when I read these verses, what struck me was, well, I want to know what is the storm and what words exactly does Jesus want me to put into practice? Well, let's think about the storm I don't think here Jesus is just talking about the storms of life. Something along the lines of, if you act on my words, you'll be able to endure the tough times of life. 
I mean, that is absolutely true. Jesus does give us a peace that passes understanding. Jesus does give us an eternal perspective on things that helps us not to worry. But the context tells us that's not what the storm is here. See, Jesus has just said that there is a day, a line in the sand, a moment in history to watch out for. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will say to tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The storm we need to withstand is this day of judgment, this day of final deciding who is in God's kingdom and who is out. And it is Jesus who has that final say. So we take notice of what he says and put it into action. When I was at school, for one reason or another, I ended up doing 10 subjects instead of the usual eight. Not because I'm smart, that's not why. It's because I didn't want to do PE. So. Um, now, I thought, well, nobody needs 10 GCSEs, 10 subjects. Um, so I chose two subjects. I thought, I'll just mess about in there. Those are my chill time. Home economics and design technology. I can't cook and I struggle with a Lego set. So, you know. So when Mr. Davenport, the tech teacher, called me bone idol and warned me I was going to make nothing of my life, I didn't care what he said. I didn't put his words into practice because I didn't care if the result of the exam was you didn't know anything. But Mrs. Levine, the English teacher, I hung on her every word. I obeyed everything she said because I had to do well in those English exams. Jesus is the only one who can get us to survive the testing storm of God's fair and accurate assessment of what we've done with the life he's given us. So we're like the wise builder if we've built our lives on the solid foundation of Jesus. So that's the storm, but what words? How can we make sure we're like the wise builder? What are the words Jesus wants us to put into action? Um, does he mean like all his words or just some of his words, most of them, a certain percentage? Because as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen none of us here have put all of the Sermon on the Mount into practice, have we? Not one of us. I think Jesus is talking about the words of the Sermon on the Mount as a whole. And what we've seen as we've looked at this sermon, this series, is that Jesus' words in this sermon do two things. They help us to be poor in spirit, mourning our sin, humbly knowing our need for Jesus to save us. And they also, his words also cause us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We see how great Jesus is, how great this behavior describes is, and want to be that. Desiring to obey his words with all of who we are, not just a sort of external, for show kind of thing. And at this pointy end of the sermon, Jesus is calling for a response to his words. Enter the kingdom of God through the narrow gate. 
So in other words, don't just know that the humble and poor in spirit who mourn their sin are blessed. Be blessed by actually coming to Jesus, poor in spirit, confessing your sin, totally depending on him for your standing before God. Act on his words. Believe and trust in him alone to get you into the kingdom. And now that you are there, having done that, don't just know about Jesus and the whole of who you are from the heart obedience that he sets out in this sermon. Don't just know about it. Get on with obeying from the heart. With all our false starts, all our backsliding, all our getting lots of it wrong, still have that heart orientation, that dependence dependence on Jesus, and just get on that narrow way. We can be sure Jesus is not saying doing enough good works is a solid foundation. Because we already saw those terrifying words in verse 23. I never knew you. They were spoken by Jesus to people who had done lots of spectacular good works in his name. The key difference is knowing Jesus and being known by him. And the promise is that happens. Jesus knows us when we trust and believe in him. If that trust and belief is real, it will show up in how we pray, in what we do with our anger, in what, how we look at those we find attractive, how we treat our enemies, how we deal with our possessions, our worries, how we make wise judgments. All those things we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount. Those who hear Jesus' words and put them into action by trusting with a genuine faith that shows up in actions are wise. But what about the foolish? Uh, I used to take x-rays for a living. And what you're trying to do when you take an x-ray is basically make everyone look the same. You do standard projections so that when there's something unusual, it really stands out. Jesus' words about the wise and foolish builders, if you have your Bible in front of you, look at those two verses. The sentences are almost identical. The storm is exactly the same. And they both build houses, which are unremarked upon, apart from what happens to them in the end. And So those things being the same highlight for us the differences, which are the foundations and how those foundations come to decide the fate of the houses when the storm comes. So verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. If we go on living as though there isn't a great storm coming as though we don't need Jesus to survive that storm, we're foolish. Now, people take great exception to that, don't they? How can you say Jesus is the only way? Who are you to call people foolish? Aren't you taking this Jesus too seriously? Uh, on the, I've got a picture of the London Underground there. On the 18th of November, 1987, a small fire under an escalator at King's Cross Tube Station in London, took hold. 
An evacuation order was given at 7.39 p.m. At 7.45 p.m., the fire flashed over in a jet of flame out of the sort of es- tube the escalator is in, and s- flame and smoke burst into the ticket hall above. 31 people were killed. And investigations afterwards, they discovered that during the evacuation alarm, someone had used the photo booth. You remember the old-fashioned photo booth? You sit there. They'd used the photo booth in the ticket hall and stood waiting for their photos to come out whilst people around them were running for their lives. They didn't take the warning from those who knew what they were talking about seriously. And it's Jesus himself here saying, if you don't take me seriously, you're being foolish. You can pretend there is no judgment, Jesus says, but I have all authority. I know what is coming and I want to save you. So don't build your life on something that will cause you to fall in the storm. Another picture here. These are houses on the northern beaches of Sydney. A stretch of beach that is being eroded, especially in big storms. And that's a bit of a disaster, isn't it? Because what have they done? They've built the houses on sand. It's all right. They've come up with a solution. Next slide. Thanks, Robert. They've built another wall on the sand. I hope it works for them. But we all know deep down that the world isn't how it's supposed to be. We all know deep down that we are not how we're supposed to be. But the answer is not to try and build a stronger house on sand. The answer is not putting our own words or the world's words into action. The answer is to throw your lot in with Jesus and put his words into action, build on his solid foundation. Let's bring it together now then, thinking about doing what Jesus says, doing what he says. The question is, for all of us, what kind of listener am I to Jesus' words? Um, at Bible college, we had to do um, personality tests, trying to help you in leadership and stuff. One of my, I did one called Strengths Finder. It's a really positive one, so it says. One of my strengths, apparently, is input. So it says, people who are especially talented in talented, people who are especially talented in the input theme have a craving to know more. Often they like to collect and archive all kinds of information. Well, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But then later on down the paragraph it says, You exhibit little need to know precisely where all this information ultimately will lead you. So in other words, the danger is for me just stuffing my head full of information and doing nothing with it. And that's the danger for all of us. There are people who've been active in churches for years. On the surface, doing heaps. Some of them wearing dog collars. But in reality, they're foolish. Because they've never turned to Jesus. Jesus demands a response, a personal response to him. It's not enough to know about Jesus. We need to know him personally by putting his words into action. It's not enough to be positively disposed 
to Jesus, but carrying on trusting in something else to win at life. We must trust him with our lives, with all of who we are. Anything else is building on sand. And that's great comfort for us here if we are trusted in Jesus. Because I think most days we can feel a bit woefully inadequate as a Christian. Just so ordinary and average. Nowhere near making the progress that we'd like to. Just rubbish. But Jesus says, no. You are wise. You are building on a rock. And you will survive the storm. And in the meantime, you get to call God Father. Know him personally as he helps you to become more like Jesus. So how can we do our bit to put Jesus' words into action? God will help us through his spirit. What's our bit? How do we get involved? I mean, when I or anyone else here preaches, we have a job to do, to be faithful to the text that we're preaching and to try and communicate the big idea of the passage. And this part that I'm trying to do now, the application, the, the what do we do with this information, that's usually the hardest bit to write. And I mean, just here, people in such diverse place, different places in life and faith and what's, what our concerns are and how we can apply God's word. So you have a job to do as well when I or anybody else is preaching, when you're listening to a sermon, thinking about how I can put that sort of broad framework of application, probably usually too focused on middle-aged married white guys. How can I put that application into practice for me? That's part of why growth groups are so important. Because you spend time getting to know each other and being known by each other. You can be much more helpful to each other in seeing where the rubber hits the road from God's word in your lives. Uh, another just sort of human wisdom thing that might help, on my leadership course, we uh, taught a simple tool for goal setting. Now, where, how? Uh, where am I up to now with God's word, with what I've just read in God's word? Where does God want me to be? How am I going to get there? Pray about it, make a plan, and have a go. Now where, how? Being wise, building on a firm foundation, is hearing Jesus' words that he's the only way to be saved from the storm of judgment and trusting him to do that, putting that into action in your belief, in your approaching Jesus, and then knowing that grace, starting to live as a citizen of God's kingdom now, Obeying Jesus' words and how to live life that honours God. So that's it. We've got to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Why don't you go back over it today, this week? It's only three chapters. And just have a really good look at Jesus again. He's so heavenly and yet so down to earth. He's so uncompromising, and yet full of grace. You can tell from what he says that he fully understands what we struggle with in life and faith from day to day, hour to hour. 
Uh, Jesus makes massive claims about himself, yet never comes across as a tall poppy, always humble. And he walks the talk, doesn't he? So as sets of words go, the Sermon on the Mount is pretty convincing as one to hang your hat on and put into practice. And just imagine doing that. Just imagine who you would be if you put all of this Sermon on the Mount into practice. Imagine being that person. You'd just be wonderful, wouldn't you? Jesus is that person. And the promise is, one day he will bless you by making you just like him. And that you'll get to hang out with God and the rest of his perfected family for all eternity. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for having Jesus' words on that hillside recorded for us so we could spend this this term going over them. Lord, I pray you against any of the seed you've sown in us being taken away. Please um, grow in us your word. Please help us to know how to put into action Jesus' words. Help us to trust in him as we come to him poor in spirit. And help us from that heart of grace, from a heart wanting to obey, help us to become more like the person described in the Sermon on the Mount. Amen.